The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hey, what's up, y'all? We're going to break down the Royals 2022 draft class here in just a second. Stick around. You are listening to KC Sports Network, the number one podcast network for today's Kansas City sports fans. With former players from your favorite teams, informed perspectives, and former insiders, this is the place for you. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts or on our YouTube channel, all over social media, or our morning newsletter, KCSN Daily, dedicated to your Kansas City Chiefs. KC Sports Network is proudly presented by Emprise Bank, your partner in possible. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. This is another episode of the Royals Farm Report podcast. My name is Alex Duvall. I'm the host of this thing. Joined as well, I, I always, almost always say as always, even though it's not as always. Joined as most of the time by my co-host for four years and running, Joel Penfield. Joel, we missed you on Sunday night, but I know you've got a lot of thoughts on the draft. How was your trip to Texas? It was a lot of fun. I got to see a Julio Rodriguez grand slam in the new ballpark in Arlington. So that, that made the most of the trip right there, but it was a good time with some, some my best friends from college, a little nice little getaway. Very, very needed. Jared, did you watch the entirety of the draft there in a DC area? I, I did. I, well, I watched most of it on the tracker today, um, but I watched day one and kind of most of day two. It was, it was fun to watch. I mean, it was some interesting picks that I wasn't expecting did not expect a full slate of college players by the Royals, but hey, if it works, it works. We're going to hear a quick advertisement from our sponsor, Kansas City Strength and Conditioning, and then we will break down this draft class. From the beginning, we knew right away that we wanted to do strength conditioning and a throwing program for the baseball and softball community. It wasn't something we were trying to back into or all of a sudden learn. We knew we were really good at these coaching these skills from the get-go, and the fact that we're in the same business the employees are all on the same page you know we can write a program based off of what a kid needs not just getting him stronger or faster from a general sense it's what does this kid need on the pitching end we can say hey this kid needs such and such he needs to do this or that better a lot of times it turns out it's not 
something that needs to be fixed in the baseball cage or on the throwing mat, it actually needs to be fixed in the weight room. All right, really quickly, I want to recap the draft just by reading the names of everyone that was taken and kind of just make sure we're all on the same page, everybody listening, so that they have an idea. With the ninth overall pick in the draft, their first-round pick, the Royals took Gavin Cross, an outfielder from Virginia Tech. They traded the 35th overall pick for Drew Waters, a center fielder from Atlanta, Trevor, I'm sorry, Trevor, Andrew Hoffman, a pitcher who is now at Double A and C.J. Alexander, a third-base prospect who is now at AA. With the 49th overall pick in the second round, they took Caden Walls, a third baseman from Arkansas. In rounds three, four, and five, the Royals took college pitchers, one from Auburn, Cal, and Central Florida. In the sixth round, they took Hayden Dunhurst, a catcher from Ole Miss. In rounds seven, eight, and nine, they took college arms again. In round 10, they took a toolsy outfielder from Louisville named Levi Usher. In round 11, they took a, a sophomore eligible draftee in David Sandlin, who I'm excited to talk about. In the 12th round, they took another kid who was, he's committed to go back to LSU, go back to school at LSU. Out of Baylor, they draft him. His name is Jack Pineda. He's a shortstop slash utility man. In rounds 13 and 14, they took college pitchers. In round 15, they took Javier Vaz, a outfielder from Vanderbilt that Joel and I got to see in Omaha last year. I have an irrational love for guys like him. So we'll talk about yep. him in a little bit. Round 16, 17 and 19, they took college arms. I'm sorry. No, in ninth in round 19, they took a high school arm. And then in round 18 and 20, they took, well, I would say high school position players, but Austin Charles pitches. So they went 17 rounds without taking a high school kid. And then rounds 18, 19, and 20, they take three high school kids in a row. Really quickly, I want to set the stage for why the rounds matter. So each, if, you, if you're not familiar, each draft position has a slot value assigned to it by Major League Baseball. In the first 10 rounds, they add up all of your draft selections, all of the bonus pools they give you, the slot values, and you get what's called a bonus pool. The Royals had like $9.6 million after they traded pick 35. So basically, what ends up happening is they say, okay, Kansas City, you can spend $9.6 million in the draft this year. We don't care if you give it all to Elijah Green. We don't care if you split it up amongst 20 people. But you can only spend $9.26 million, I should clarify, in the first 10 rounds. After those first 10 rounds... You can give rounds 11 through 20, $125,000 each, and it does not count against your bonus pool. Over $125,000, and the money begins to count against your bonus pool again. So let's say Jack Pineda, round 12, shortstop out of Baylor. The Royals give him $125,000 he signs, no problem does not count against their $9.6 million. If they give him $225,000, then that last $100,000 counts against their bonus pool for the draft. It's kind of like a salary cap for the draft. With all that being said, let's talk about the players. Joel, who was your favorite pick from today in day three? 
you mentioned him in the the rundown, but it was Javier Vaz. I think that is just a fascinating type of pick. It's a very Royals pick. It hurts. Uh, like he's got a little bit of infield. You can play some infield. You can play some outfield. Great bat to ball skills. A ton of speed. A good glove. Not a ton of power to speak of, but enough that it can it can play and he can run into a couple. And he's going to walk a ton and he's not going to strike out. Like think of like a great value Luis Arias. I think that's a a pretty good comp for what you're looking at in Javier Vaz and a, a good bat to have in the system. I don't know what kind of I don't know where he ends up in our top fifty. I think he might be close to it. Uh, but it's just an interesting bat and a guy that I really enjoyed watching play last year in the College World Series and a dude that I kept an eye on this year because I remember I had a ton of fun watching him in that that game we went to. I do think there's a shot that he ends up in our top 50. His strikeout rate in the SEC this spring, 6%. Yeah. 17 strikeouts and 280-some plate appearances. That's nuts. He clearly has an idea of what he wants to do with the plate. He executes it well. He runs well. He's a great outfielder. Excuse me. I'm excited to see how he handles professional pitching. If he can keep a strikeout rate at 5%, 6%, 7%, the the power that you hit for starts to matter less and less. And there's just very few guys who can strike out that little. Once that strikeout rate starts to bloom into the double digits, power starts to matter again, and it almost never works out for those guys. But if he can be an elite contact type of guy, a Nick Madrigal type, then maybe there's a chance Javier Vaz can move up the ranks a little bit. There's a reason he's a 15th round pick with some of his tools is he doesn't hit for any kind of authority. And a lot of times it doesn't even appear like he's trying to hit for any kind of authority, but I agree, Joel. I love the pick. I love Javier Vaz and I have this irrational hope that he makes it. Jared, who was your favorite pick today in day three? Yeah, I think I really like Jack Panetta from Baylor. Um, I think he's just got one of those guys who can play all over the middle of the infield. You watch him play, and he's just a grinder. He's one guy who's going to go out there and play hard every single day. And that's the kind of guy the Royals usually go to. Um, and he's just kind of like a Nick Lofton light. There's potential for double-digit bonds, uh, double-digit steals as well, and a guy who can kind of do it all. And I think he's one that I really was excited to see. I think signability is going to be an issue with him committed to LSU now. Um, and that that stack team that they've put together over there. But it, if there's a he's a guy that can get into the system, it's worth that taking him that late round and see if he can come in and do some damage. It seems like Jared there for like a week. We would text each other every day and be like, <laughs> "LSU got who? They got yeah. who? They got they got another one." It was Carter Young from Vanderbilt. It was Wes Johnson, the pitching coach from the Twins. I mean, they just kept adding guys. Jack Pineda among that class. Um, since neither of you talked about him, I will. David Sandlin, draft-eligible sophomore, although he is technically in his third year of college. So does he have leverage? Yes. Is it as much as a normal draft-eligible sophomore? No. He's not like a Caden Wallace, like a true second-year sophomore. Uh, David Sandlin is a redshirt sophomore. So the the longer he continues to go back to school, the longer it's going to be before he can get his professional career started. So uh, just keep that in mind. But David Sandlin is really interesting to me because as much as Cade Horton got all of the of, of the acclaim for Oklahoma down the stretch, David Sandlin was performing just as well. Now, he doesn't have the electric stuff that Cade Horton has, but he's just a tier below, and Cade Horton was the seventh overall pick in the draft. 
I do not think there's that big of a difference between Cade Horton and David Sandlin, if we're being honest. I think the biggest difference was that David Sandlin had more leverage to go back to school, so you're going to have to pay him more. And Cade Horton's fastball is markedly better. Now, the stuff, and just in terms of the way it comes out of his hand, is a little bit better. There's a little more high octane, but he doesn't control it as well. David Sandlin legitimately controls the ball pretty well. Like he is a starter learning to continue to throw hard and to learn high octane stuff. He's not a thrower learning to pitch like Cade Horton is. So that is a long winded way of saying that I know the ACE went number seven overall. And we're talking about the 11th round pick for the Royals, but I really like this pick and I can see it being in the vein of a Vinny Pasquantino in the 11th round where we're looking back on this in three years going, man, somebody should have offered to pay David Sandlin because this kid can really pitch. If we narrow that down to the first day, and now we're only looking at Gavin Cross and Caden Wallace, Jared, I want you to tell me not which player you prefer, but which pick you preferred in the context of the player at the draft position. Yeah, I mean, I, I really liked the Caden Wallace pick just because I was looking at two guys in that pick, knowing the needs of the Royals was either center field or third base. It was Max Wagner or Caden uh, uh, Wallace. And Matt Wagner, I think, went like one or two picks before Wallace mm-hmm. did. And I there's just elite power there. And he started to cut down on the strikeouts as well. And you have to like the value that you get for that pick. There was part of me that thought like he would go before that. Like that was like, oh, the Royals got rid of 135. That's where they could have gotten a guy like Wagner or Wallace, but he wound up falling to him at about 149, and it was it was a perfect value right there. Joel, I know we talked about Cross and Wallace quite a bit on on the night of the draft, but you didn't you were you were gone by the time we got to Wallace. Um, I know you like the pick, but what about Wallace specifically makes you excited to have him in a Royals uniform? I think it's just the fact the Royals right now, as it sits, don't have a a guy in the system that you can look at and go, that's the third baseman of the future. Like definitively, I think Michael Massey, Nick Lofton, you know, there, there are guys that can definitely be that type of guy, but not in a, like not in the truest sense of the power hitting third baseman that you really want to see in modern baseball. I think Caden Wallace provides that it's a few years down the road, but it's somebody you can actually look at in the system and not like they're throwing him at third, just to fill a role. They actually have a true third baseman in the organization to be that type of guy. I agree. I think at this moment, he is the clear-cut best third-base prospect in this organization. Now, we we, we kind of did this with our, like, our organizational depth that we did last year where I went through the rankings and broke down like the top options at each position. And like you said, among people who can play third base at an adequate level, Michael Massey, I would probably still rank ahead of Caden Wallace, but Michael Massey is not a third baseman, so there is a a, a stark difference there. The draft overall, gentlemen, Joel, who was your favorite pick you can use by the player, by the position they were taken, by the money you think they're going to get, however you want to value your favorite, who was your favorite pick the Royals made in the 2022 draft class? I do think it was probably Sandlin of of everybody. Just where they, when you look at the value, where they got him. In fact, they're able to get him by. They're probably going to get him because they took a bunch of four year senior signs that don't have the same type of leverage that they can really significantly underslot that they took on day two 
they're going to be able to get him in the system. And I, I'm not saying he's some top of the rotation type of pick, but certainly has a, a good enough ceiling that you can reasonably believe that he can be a part of the rotation of the future in a couple of years. He reminds me of your guy, Jonathan Heasley, honestly. Yep. In I, terms I of a guy definitely who see that. is pitcher ish and gets into professional baseball, and all of a sudden the stuff ticks up, and it's like, whoa, this guy might actually be able to start in the big leagues. Now, Jonathan Heasley's working through some things as he's arrived to the big leagues, but this pick reminds me a lot of the Jonathan Heasley pick back in 2018. Jared, who was your favorite pick that the Royals made during the draft? Yeah, I mean, I got to go with the 1-9 of Gavin Cross just because I was Gavin Cross or bust from day one. I just, I think there's a lot of upside there to Cross that a lot of people weren't seeing. I mean, with the elite exit velos, the athleticism he has in the outfield, the plus speed. I mean, he's a guy that um, I liked Jace Jung and Jacob Berry for their bat, but I think Cross is a higher ceiling. And I think he has the potential to reach that ceiling with uh, Drew Saylor and company working with him. And so I think that's why he's I'm the most excited to see him kind of hit the ground running in Kansas City. Anybody outside of the first day that you're excited to see? Yeah, I think the other guy that I'm uh, excited to see is just because I've covered a lot of the University of Maryland is Ryan Ramsey. Not a very exciting player, but good four pitch mix, low 90s fastball pounds the strike zone he's gonna throw strikes every single day and if he can get some velo on that um he has a chance to look really good and he's really athletic on the mound too so there's a lot of chance for growth there and i think he's a guy who's worth a late round pick i think he's a four-year senior or four-year junior um so he's probably not going to sign for a ton of money it has a lot of potential there too he's got a perfecto under his belt that's not enough yes he does (laughs) one thing that i love the royals do is add I don't mean to make, I don't, this isn't supposed to sound like a bad thing, but soft throwing lefties into the system. And the reason for that is it is really hard for young hitters to deal with soft throwing lefties, the changeups, all the off speed stuff. That's what young hitters are typically working on is changeups and off speed stuff, right? And when they're getting so used to learning to handle premium velo, usually the Rito Lugos, the Marcelo Martinez, the Austin Cox, the Drew Parishes of the world, they dominate the lower levels of the minors. So, A, what that does is anytime you can get a pitching prospect to double A, there's a chance. Doesn't matter how good the chance is, there's a chance. B, it helps the younger guys win when they're at that level. Columbia, up until the second half of the season, and the first half of the season, I should say then, did not do a lot of winning. Quad Cities struggled on pretty good early in the year adding guys like Ryan Ramsey to the system a it gives you the chance of a Drew Parrish Noah Cameron type b it's great to help kids win while the 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 prospects so to speak are playing their way up i love it and i think Ryan Ramsey fits that mold of what the royals have done a lot of over the years uh jared we got a busy night tonight i know you got a lot going on thank you very much for joining us tonight is there anything else, any any final comments you'd like to make about the Royals draft class before you get you out of here? Yeah, I mean, not the most exciting draft, but, I mean, a bunch of good guys. So it's going to be exciting to see what they do. All right, Jared, we appreciate your time tonight. Thank you, sir. Thank you. All right, we are joined now by Jacob Milham, the engineer of what the draft guide wound up looking like. Jacob, thanks for joining us tonight. Of course, of course. It's my pleasure. How y'all doing? I'm good. How are you, man? 
Doing all right. You know, it's another uh, it's another late night here on the East Coast. You know, we're we're in the future, but we're uh, we're holding it down. Don't you worry about it. All right. <laughs> I want to get your thoughts really quickly on yeah. the draft itself. A, if you could give the draft a grade for the Royals, what would you give it? And then B, what player after day one? So outside of Cross, outside of Wallace, is there a player you're really excited to see in the system? For sure. So I'll, I'll go and start off with the grade. Um, I definitely think this is a solid B. I think I I think I sat down and I looked at everything after after today, and like on a hundred scale, I put it at like an eighty three. So I think there's I think there's things to like. I don't see like the huge boom potential in this class, but I also don't see a huge bust potential in this class. Um, so that that is a good thing, especially for a struggling club. Um, I have to say, I'm absolutely in love with the day two for this Royals draft class. I mean, I think there's a lot of guys to really like. Um, we we talk about, you know, that sixth tool, you know, the dog in him. And a guy on day two who's got that dog in him is Brandon Johnson out of Ole Miss, dude. Like, he is, um, I mean, golly, he's just something else to watch. He's fire out there on the mound. Um, he does, I mean, just like all these prospects, they have things to grow in before they make their debut. Uh, but bringing in a guy like that who has not really been, you know, colored within the lines of college baseball, you know, bringing that fire into the Royals organization, I think personally is great because you're going to compete when you have competitors, you know? I appreciate that. I I really like watching uh, Ben Sears from Houston, the reliever pitch mm. too. He is along those lines, and it's I mean it's filthy stuff. So I yeah. kind of like the Royals' approach here of drafting a few relievers. Like if you're just gonna draft cheap signable players, you can draft starters that didn't that aren't gonna make it as starters and try to turn them into relievers. Or you can draft the kids who have been closing in college the entire time and then throw them in there and see what they look like in a, in a professional bullpen. So I kind of like the strategy they took there in day two and, and in, in the middle of day three as well. I want to transition and talk about the draft guide. Yeah, The draft guide that we put out this year that all three of us were a part of, and Jared included, and our next guest, Marcus, also, is – that is one of the most fun I've ever had being a part of Royals Farm Report. And for, for anybody listening that wonders how that goes, here's a little bit of the process. I <laughs> sent out a message in December recruiting writers, basically. And once we got the writers, what we had to do is come up with a list of basically like 200 players that could potentially be in our top 100. And I mentioned this before in a radio bit or something that we had players written up. I wrote up one. Drew wrote up like three or four. I think Marcus wrote one up. I wrote Mason up wrote up. <laughs> Joel wrote up a couple. Mason wrote up a few that didn't make the cut. And we were, we were I was sitting there looking at them, and, and Drew, I texted him. I was like, hey, don't write up this guy. I can't remember who it was now, but don't write him up. I know you signed up for him because he's not going to make the cut. And he goes, but he's really good. I'm like, I know, but we can only, I mean, we only promised the top 100. And looking back on it, maybe we should just add him in there as, you know, 103 or 104. But anyway, once they're all voted in, we had to go back in. We, so everybody signs up. We ended up writing them. And the, the best way to do it is Joel writes up 
Justin Campbell, a right-handed pitcher from Oklahoma State. He emails me the Google Doc. And so what I had started doing was copy and pasting everybody's work into a Google Doc of my own work. So I had like written the intro, the you know, the top 10 players in each quadrant, and you know, the the state of the farm. And I started copying and pasting the write-ups in there. And I think I what what ended up happening is I leaked a um, a picture of the draft guide yeah. and Jacob DM to me and he goes, dude, you got to let me help you make this pretty. And I was like, by all means, please. I am sort of technology dumb. I'm not a savant <laughs> by any means. And I was like, whatever. I was like, honestly. Um, and Jacob, I may not have told this story before and I hope the guy is listening. I won't name his name, but I hope he's listening is a few years ago, this guy that wrote for us, he was actually one of our editors. Okay. Offered to rewrite the, the website, the code, so that it looked nice and pretty. And I didn't pay him anything, so I didn't lose anything in this deal. But he was supposed to make it look good. And then literally a week before he told me it was done, I have never heard from him again. <laughs> I have no idea if he's alive. Actually, no, I think we did. I think we confirmed on LinkedIn that this guy's alive. I've never heard from the guy. He... Hasn't tweeted since that day. He has not been on Twitter, liked anything since that day. He's ghosted my phone calls. He's ghosted my text messages. He just never responded to anything ever again. And so when Jacob reaches out, he's like, I'll, I'll help. I'm like, yeah, okay. So here's the, the draft guide, basically. And he sends me back an email. And I was I, I almost cried. I almost cried because I was so happy with how it looks. So... Jacob, really quick, I know people are going to ask how you made the draft guide pretty. Tell us what you used, what software you used, and then walk us through the, the process of taking black and white words on a Google Doc and, and putting them into a format that makes it appealing and readable for people. Well, shoot, man, you you really want all the dirty details. Uh, first, I'm I'm glad to finally give you a good experience with someone helping you out on that scale because, damn, I would be livid if someone ghosted me like that. But um, no, I look so I do similar projects um, for my day job, you know, for the military. I'm on an admiral staff. So I got to, you know, he he says a whole lot of black and white things that are frankly not appealing sometimes. But we got to kind of gussy him up, make him visually appealing. And, you know, so people actually hear what he's saying instead of just an old guy talking. So, which I'm not saying you were an old guy talking, but I'm, I'm saying I had some good experience with it. Um, just hopped on Adobe InDesign, man. Um, luckily, I had, you know, I've been in the sports realm. I think literally I just hit my one year anniversary of like starting to write. Um, and the rundown podcast is about to hit its one year in early September. Um, but long story short, for a college class, I had to draft up, you know, like what, what would a magazine look like? And so frankly, it would just kind of worked wonders, man, because I already had this gend up. I already had an idea. I just doubled down on a little bit more. I took y'all's great work and, you know, Alex, you were really, you're really communicative. You know, you got back and forth to me really fast. You made the whole process really easy, man. It was, it was a whole lot of fun. Um, and really seeing how you and the team work together was very eye-opening. 
um, a great experience. And man, I'm I'm just so happy that I got to help you out in that manner. So thank you. It is legitimately a rewarding process. And just for anybody, I don't know if I tweeted this out or not. We ended up selling over 300 draft guides and made, it was right over $1,100 by the time the prices go up and down and we're discounting it for Nate Eaton dongs and <laughs> Nick Prado dongs and debuts and stuff. Um, it's it'll, it'll remain for sale, by the way, for 99 cents. This is the one piece of content that we will ever write the draft guide is that will never, that will not be free at some point in time. So um, it'll be 99 cents forever. You can go to Royals farm report gum road. I don't know how you would find it. Google it. Um, yep. Buy that draft guide in 50 years. You want to go back and find it as long as the internet still exists, it'll be there. Um, but the, like you talk about communication, like going back and forth, and not that Joel specifically did this to me, but it's like, Joel, I need the write-up. Like, we are almost done. I need you to email me the write-up so I can send it to Jacob so that he can make it pretty so that we can finish the draft guide because we are, we're on a clock here. We've got to get it out. We've got to put it out. We've got to, you know. And so, like I said, Joel was not one of the – there was nothing that actually happened like that, but you're you're constantly, like, looking for information. Like, who's writing up this guy? Like, do we have somebody signed up for it? Do I need to do it? Like, Somebody's got to write him up. He's number 94. And so there's just, there's I, I was getting worried there for a little bit, man. There, there were some spots. <laughs> I was just like, I don't know if I'm going to have time to design this, but Hey, you got it done. That's all that matters. Which was awesome. Jacob, I really appreciate you being a part of all that. It was again, legitimately one of the most enjoyable experiences I've ever had writing. Um, anyway, so, uh, the Tampa Bay Rays are in town this weekend and mm -hmm. we've got some good news for you. If you're looking to take your crew out to the K this summer, be sure to check out our friends at tickets for less tickets for less.com has the best selection of tickets to all your favorite sporting events, concerts, and shows, including the Royals tickets for less never charges per ticket fee, saving you big time over the other sites out there. You can even use uh, our partner code at checkout and save more. Simply enter KCSN22 when, when ordering your seats at ticketsforless.com. That code, again, is KCSN22. Jacob, we appreciate you, man. Of course. Hope you all have a good episode. Good luck. Thank you, sir. Joel and I are now joined by the host of the Royals Weekly Podcast, Marcus Mead. Marcus was live from the Kingdom Bar and Grill in Overland Park with us on draft night. Marcus, how we doing? I'm doing excellent. I was very happy after a day's worth of drafting today. I am happy that it's over. I am glad we are we are <laughs> talking are. about it now. We're going to get all of our thoughts out of the way, and then I am done talking about baseball until Friday night when the Royals and the Rays take the field at Kauffman Stadium and the minor leagues continue back up. This is like the first year that I can remember that all of the All-Star breaks are in the same week. It used to be that you would have like, the Texas League in the second week of July, but the PCL was in the third week of July, and the A-ball teams were in the first week of July, and then the short-season teams would have their all-star break in August, and it was just like, you can't keep track of it all. So um, all of the all-star breaks are happening right now. There is no minor league baseball, no major league baseball. The all-star game is tonight, and then we have a break until Friday, which I am thrilled about. I think Marcus, they were thinking about you guys when they did it. They were like, these guys yeah. need a few days off in the summer. <laughs> yeah. 
they had that. I guarantee you, Royals Farm Report was the first thing on Manfred's mind. Yeah. Because he's such a jackass. We that, know he listens. We know yeah. he listens. Marcus, we got all your thoughts on Cross and Wallace on Sunday night. Walk me through the rest of the draft. I want a grade for the draft as a whole. And then I want one or two or three players that you're kind of excited to see in a Royals Royals uniform. Uh, I'm gonna go. I'm really optimistic. So I don't know. I, I know you've talked to some other guys who who were a part of the draft guide tonight. I might be the high. I'm worried I'm the highest grade because I get, you know, chided sometimes for being the most optimistic. Although once I was burned, I was I was criticized for being too negative about the Royals. But I'm gonna give this draft as a whole an A minus. Honestly, um, I was I was uh, I would think an A minus was my grade for day one when I, when we did it uh, at the Kingdom Bar and Grill that live show. And then I was a little bit down on it la- yesterday after the, the day two, seeing uh, rounds three through 10, but rounds 11 through 20 really got me back. You know, they, they, uh, there was just so much talent that they picked up in rounds 11 through 20. They, they just caught me again. And I, and, I, and so I'm, I'm, I'm willing to give it an A minus because, and another big selling point for this draft for me is it feels like they've finally into implemented what I consider a coherent strategy for their draft that fits their development system. I'm going to have a, a post coming about, out about this on royalsfarmreport.com tomorrow. And it's really just going to say essentially that, and you can get more details on Royals Farm Report, but that this was uh, a draft that should give fans hope that they've started to make decisions in the draft that fit their player development better, right? So you talk about hitters early, pitchers late. That's what I, I, I sort of replied to one of your tweets today with hashtag hitters early, pitchers late, because that's what they need to be doing with the sort of strengths of their player development right now. Their strengths are in hitting. It's not in pitcher player development. So if you're going to take those hitters early, you know, make them as good as they could possibly be, make them into potential all-stars. And then if you have to trade them, cause you already have a lineup full of really good hitters, trade them for pitch major established major league pitching. Train them for guys who are going to be that starting rotation for you that you haven't been able to develop yet. But I also think that they went out and got some guys in the 11th through 10th round or in the 11th through 20th round. And even in the, some in the third through 10th that have potential as pitchers, even starting rotation pitchers. If they can find guys who are, I think a little bit better in pitching development and, and bring those guys in as a new regime. I think these, some of these guys have chances and I, you've probably already talked about them in the show. I don't know if you have or not, but I'm thinking most especially about the guy they took in round 11, and that is um, David uh, Sandlin, Sandlin. That, that guy from Oklahoma. After he was drafted, I had to go out and watch the entirety of that Texas A&M start hit that he had, and I just I did like a full scouting report on it. I'm going to go back and watch other outings of his, ones that maybe didn't go as watch well the, in the overall number. Watch the K-State game in the Big yeah. 12 tournament. I've heard good things about that. They mentioned that start in the broadcast um, for that one, but there were just things I wanted to notice and pick up on in that start. And so there a lot of positive first off, right? So there were reports of him in the low nineties early in the year. He was mostly 93, 94 in that start. Love to see that some of it, in the, especially at the beginning of innings dipped into 91, 92. He gave up a home run on a 91 mile an hour fastball right down Broadway in that Texas A&M start where he struck out 12 and, and pitched really well. But it'll be interesting to see, does his velocity tick up a little bit? He lo- His body looks like it could. He's still young. He's still you know, young enough that he could still add a mile per hour or two of, of velocity on that fastball. And if he does, he's in much better shape because the slider and the curveball are legit. He has a changeup that needs more refinement, needs a little bit more work. But the slider and curveball are really interesting to me. They gave some of the 
uh, pitch metrics for that slider, it's already above major league average in horizontal and vertical movement. It's already above major league average in spin rate. It is a good pitch, that slider, and the curveball looks just as good. So we're excited about those two secondary guy. I wasn't thinking they'd be able to get, you know, at you know, in, in, in that late in the draft. I didn't think. I'm I'm a little surprised he signed. I don't know. I know Alex, you were predicting this the whole time on day two. Hey, they're saving money. These guys are saving money for somebody after the tenth round. I was like, I don't see it because all the high end talent is basically gone. And then he they come out and it looks like they're going to give four hundred thousand or something like that to this guy, David Sandlin from Oklahoma. So does that surprise you? I'm surprised he'll take so little because that's like top end of the fifth round money, and he still has two years of college he could go to. Well, and the one thing we talked about with Jared earlier is that he's a red shirt sophomore. So he, mm-hmm. age-wise, is a junior. And yes, he could go back and be a red shirt junior, but red shirt juniors have about as much leverage as seniors, which is none. If he doesn't sign this contract, there is no payday for him next year. It just doesn't exist. Okay. Nobody's going to give him more than about $100,000 or maybe that $125,000 mark. So I think the odds of him signing are pretty good. Joel, the one thing that Jackson Holiday kind of ran into, and I know comparing, not comparing, but putting David Sandlin in the same vein as Jackson Holiday may have just thrown people through a loop. But the one thing that I don't know how to value is NIL money. Yep. Yeah, At that's going to be the interesting part of this. At what point do NIL deals for baseball players at certain schools start to creep up on signing bonuses in the draft? Yeah, and I think the certain schools part of that is the the kind of the operative part of that statement. If David Sandlin was at Florida, Vanderbilt, Arkansas – I think you'd probably consider going back to school, especially with the performance in the college world series. You probably hit a couple, you know, local NIL deals. He's not going to make the same money as like football or men's basketball, but relative to other sports, there's still a good chance at Oklahoma. I don't know if he'd get that. I don't know if there would be $400,000 sitting there for him, you know, going back for another year of college. So I think he's probably going to sign and because it's the best opportunity for him to make the most money. If Jackson holiday slipped down to six, seven, or something like that, or to was thinking in the middle of the first round, I bet he goes to Oklahoma State because he's probably going to make more there than he would uh, in the first round of that. But he goes 1-1 for an $8 million slot. He's going to Baltimore. The, the interesting thing about – oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was I was just going to make the, the point that I've made before about Mizzou quarterback Sam Horn and where, where these two-way guys, where baseball is about to start losing out, is Sam Horn, as the quarterback of Mizzou – is going to get a big NIL deal, probably his NIL money for three years is going to be more than he would have gotten in a signing bonus for an MLB Yep. This is where baseball is about to start losing out, is the the two-way athletes who it used to be, Sam Horn, your options are go to Mizzou where you cannot legally be paid. Now, I'm not going to act like Reggie Bush wasn't making more than his rookie year in the NFL, but where you cannot legally be paid, or I can sign this $800,000 deal with the Red Sox and just go play baseball. Baseball used to have a leg up in the draft on college football players. Marcus, what I want to ask you is, with the signing bonuses, do you think there's a chance that Major League Baseball will have to come in here and say, hey, in the 12th round, we're going to let you spend $400,000 per player 
where it's now $125,000. We're going to raise it to $400,000. That doesn't count against your draft pool so that we can try to keep some of these football players from going to college. Right, and that looks more like the Major League drafted 10 years ago, right, where it was basically a free-for-all and you could just sign guys. I mean, they would uh, they would fall into some sort of slot, you know, but you would have guys signing – you'd have teams signing guys in the, you know, 19th round who they were going to pay a million dollars, you know. like And so, uh, you know, I, I think that if they want to compete with college football for some of those guys – now, not all guys – I mean, you're talking about a relatively small percentage of the number of guys who would get drafted who are – you're going to have – I mean, you're talking five to ten guys in a season, maybe, um, who are going to who are going to be in this position. So I don't know that they'll make that level of change just for that number of guys. I think that they might consider some other things. It might bounce back a little bit just because some of these numbers are reduced from COVID times. You know, it mm-hmm. seems like they're trying to recover revenues from COVID times, and so they're saying, okay, max this amount – you know, pass this plus what you saved in your in your bonus pool money. If you don't know, people listening, it's it's sort of a you could give somebody after the tenth round, you know, one twenty five. Is that it? One twenty five plus whatever you saved in bonus pool money from the first ten rounds. Yes. And so, you know, I'm guessing the Royals are going to give virtually everything they saved from rounds one through ten to David Sandlin in the eleventh yep. round because they didn't save that much money in rounds one through ten, which make some of the picks they made later a little interesting. They took some prep guys on day three, some really good athletes who maybe they'll decide to just go to college because they want more than 125 grand. Um, that happens all the time. You know, teams end up doing this a lot. They're sort of like, let's take a flyer on a high school guy. Maybe he actually doesn't want to go to school. We'll get him for the 125 grand. I don't think that's likely, but I am still excited about a lot of the pitching that they got on day three. You mentioned Ben Sears. I was hanging out in the, in the waiting room or whatever. You mentioned Ben Sears with Jacob earlier. Another guy who really interests me, a really exciting and interesting pick. They also, if I had a thread to weave through some of this, uh, the, the the decisions that they made in the on day two and day three, I think that thread might be that they were looking for guys who other teams were going to be lower on because of certain elements of circumstance. So that guys coming off Tommy John with Hunter Patterson, guys who've been converted from other positions like uh, Steve, uh, what is it, Sozak or... Zoback, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm really interested in that. That's that's an interesting tactic to me if you're looking for value, live arms in the later rounds that you can maybe develop. That's a good tactic in my mind. And so, yeah, I'm excited about those guys. I'm excited about Sears because he doesn't walk anybody. That's just an interesting thing to me where it's like, let's take this big projectable body from a guy who doesn't walk anybody and we'll see if we can you know, help him strike more guys out because that's really his deficiency at this point. He doesn't strike enough guys out. If he struck more guys out, he'd probably have gone you know, in the second, third, fourth round, but he doesn't strike that many guys out, doesn't miss that many bats. If you find a way to make one of his pitches 60 grade, you have a guy who doesn't walk anybody and has a 60 grade pitch. That's an incredible sort of thing to get right there, you know? So go ahead and draft those live arms, those guys who are trans or who are becoming pitchers, you know, from being outfielders or whatever. And maybe you find a way to turn them into something. You know, if you're going to have a, if you're going to have a strategy that's like, let's just draft a bunch of pitchers and see which ones stick, do it in the later rounds, not in the early rounds. Because if you think pitching is that variant, which it really is, that variable, that that volatile, then don't don't use your most valuable resources on it. And they really didn't this draft. I hope it continues into next year and the years after. If you're still wondering about the slot values and things, the, David Sandlin, in my opinion, was the third best player they drafted in this draft class. And the reason that he's in the 11th round and not the third round is the Royals have a free 
$125,000 essentially they can give him that doesn't count against their bonus pool. So when you're pinching pennies here at the end of the draft, trying to make sure you don't go over the bonus pool, trying to make sure you don't break any of the rules, taking a player in the 11th round on a deal that you've agreed to before the draft even began gives them a free $125,000. So let's say that we're right and the deal is for $400,000 for David Sandlin. If you take him in round 10, all $400,000 count against the salary bonus pool. If you take him in round 11, only $275,000 of that count against the bonus pool. So there's just all these games that teams play with it. And the reason that I'm confident that David Sandlin is signing is he was their first pick on day two. This tells me they had a deal cut with him before the draft began. They knew exactly what was going to happen when the draft started. And as soon as day two started and the Royals came up, they took David Sandlin. They're going to get that piece of paper signed, and he's going to be in Arizona here in a couple weeks. Well, I think he's also going to be their priority. I don't, I don't think they're going to let him go back without whatever money he wanted. They, I'm sure they already have a deal in place, yeah. but if they didn't, it would be like, okay, do you want 450? We'll give you the extra 50. We'll, we'll, we'll let these high school guys we drafted later go to, you know, or we'll, we'll do something. They're going to get him. I think you're right. He's the third best prospect of the guys they took. I don't know if he's the third best player right now, but he's definitely the third best prospect of the ones that they took in this draft. Alex, I got one more thing really quick that I want to hit with you just because I'm curious. So the last guy the Royals took was a prep guy named Austin Charles out of Stockdale High School in California. And he's listed as a two-way player. Do you think the Royals actually let him do both? Yeah. And I think I was, I was, I'm glad you brought that up because that was like the next thing on my list after Milo Rushford, but we'll come back to him in a minute, is I'm really curious, but so one thing that you can always kind of tell about when a player is drafted is the position that the that the team sends in. And the team on their draft card wrote TWP, two-way player. That means they apparently plan on letting him try to do both. Now, let's be kind of clear about this is this is a little bit like college recruiting. Like, hey, uh, I coach at Texas, and I really want Joel to come play for me. Joel tells me he wants the two-way. I know he's not going to make it as a pitcher. I want Joel to hit. But I'm not going to tell Joel he can't two-way. Otherwise, he's going to go to Oklahoma State. So, okay, of course, Joel, come to Texas. We'll let you two-way. Freshman year, it's clearly not working out on the mound. Darn, Joel, you're going to have to just focus on hitting, buddy. And, and don't worry, you're a great hitter. And what we wanted to happen all along happened. So, whether the Royals think he's better on the mound or better at the plate, I don't know. I would imagine they're going to let him two-way until it just doesn't work anymore. And as a insurance policy to make sure that he signs the contract they want him to sign, they're going to call him a two-way player, sign him, get him to Arizona, and then from there they can just see what happens. But I do 100% anticipate they're going to let him do both early on. Gentlemen, Thank you for joining me tonight. It has been a wild um, six months, seven months for us putting the draft guide together. Marcus, you wrote up a ton of players. Joel wrote up some of the most important players on the draft card. And a lot of guys you got a live look at there in Oklahoma at Oklahoma State. Um, Joel, I will talk to you again next week. Marcus, I am 100% sure I'll talk to you here in Tuesday. the near future. Until later, until next time, knuckleheads. We'll see you guys real soon. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, I am now joined by David Lesky, the I, I don't know what the the word is, the writer, editor, owner, czar. producer of the czar of <laughs> Inside the Crown. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the Substack over there; it is awesome. So I subscribe to both Inside the Crown and Into the Fountains from Craig Brown. And one of the first things I do every morning, my alarm goes off, and I always set it about twenty five minutes before the kid gets up. So my alarm goes off, I roll over grab my phone, open up the emails, scroll through them. And then like, then I like start my day. So it's been a really cool, like the Substack, the idea that the article just shows up in your inbox. I don't have to go looking for it on Twitter. Mm -hmm. I don't have to go to the website. It's just there. It's convenient. Make sure you look for the inside the crown Substack uh, to read all of David's thoughts on the Royals this year. David, I appreciate you joining me tonight. Yeah. Thanks for having me. The draft is over. Seven months of preparation over here has come to an end. In I want to get your hours. <laughs> Twenty-seven hours, just done. I want to get your thoughts on the first two picks they made: Gavin Cross and Caden Wallace. Both of these are like painfully like if 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 you really stood back and like were just as cynical as possible before the draft, this is exactly who you would have said the Royals were taking. But from a player standpoint, it really makes a lot of sense as well, I think, both stylistically and for their timeline. What were your thoughts on Cross and Wallace? Yeah, it, the Cross pick is interesting because if you had told me before the draft they were going to pick him at nine, I would have said, okay. But then they get to nine, and my draft crush was Cam Collier. And he's there, and I'm going, they have to take Cam Collier, right? They can't not take Cam Collier, right? And they didn't take Cam Collier. And so it was almost disappointing to me that they took a guy who I would have been happy with 45 mm -hmm. minutes before <laughs> because of what was on the board. And that's obviously that's the way the draft works. And so there, there's always that, um, you know, it, it, it can change at a moment's notice. I mean, Kumar Rocker at three was crazy. Um, but um, 
when I was able to take a step back on, on the cross pick, you look at it, 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 like you said, it makes sense. He's a polished hitter. Um, he's, I, they're going to play him in center field. I don't think it's going to last very long. Um, I don't know. I, I, I would say that maybe if he goes into, if he goes to a team this year, which the Royals sometimes don't do that, I think they will with him probably. But if he, if he does, he might finish the year in center field, but I would guess his opening day assignment in 2023 is right field. Um, that's my thought. I don't know if you agree with that or it, it may, maybe it's May. I don't know, but I, I don't think he's a center fielder for long, but he can play. He's a pretty good defender, good hit tool, good power. I mean, he does everything pretty well. Um, and this is so weird to trust the Royals offensive development, but I do. I've never trusted the Royals development in anything. And now I trust their offensive development. So. I like the pick. I think it makes sense. And then Caden Wallace at two, um, that's a big power. And and I and another again, I trust the development team to help that hit tool get. I mean, I've seen it anywhere. I've seen forty to fifty is is the scouting grade on. I don't know if you've seen higher than that somewhere, but I don't. I haven't. Um, I can. I trust them to get it to a fifty and and keep it there. Um, I'm, I don't. He's not going to be a sixty hitter. I don't, I don't think that's ever going to happen, but it's an athletic guy with big power. I've talked to a couple people who think he can stay at third. Um, I'd like to see it. I don't know. I, I haven't seen enough of him to know that, but you know, you think about him playing at Arkansas in some ways it's like, Oh sure. Dayton just took his, his uh, son's buddy. But in other ways it's like Dayton saw this guy. I don't know how many game, Arkansas games he went to, but it was, it was more than most presidents do, <laughs> I would have mm-hmm. to say. Um, so you feel at least good about him knowing the player. And, you know, some people might argue that's a detriment. But um, I, I think I think Dayton Moore has proven to be a pretty good scout. I think the issue has long been development, and they seem to have fixed that. So, you know, I feel good about those two picks. I think that they were a really good day one. And then just to, to jump on, you know, trading the 35th pick, um, when, when I saw what was available at 35, the Royals wouldn't have taken, I forget who the Braves picked, but they would not have taken a high school pitcher based on their draft, I don't think. But what was there, I think I'd prefer Drew Waters and Andrew Hoffman to what they would have taken at 35. So all in all, really good day one, I thought. I agree 100% with the analysis of 35. And even at number 49, I almost like let myself get so cynical, like, because it was such an obvious choice yeah. that I almost overlooked the fact that I really like the player. Mm-hmm. And I watch a lot of Arkansas baseball just because it's SEC college baseball, you know, being a, a high school coach, I, college baseball is one of my favorite things, favorite sports to watch on earth. The energy is different. It's a lot more like watching like a Dominican winter league game than it is a major league game. Oh yeah, for sure. I agree that Caden Wallace can play third base. And I think as of right now, he's your best third base prospect in the system. Unless you count like a Massey or a Lofton or somebody who is not a third baseman by trade. Yeah. I mean, and we talked about cross and center field for an organization's running Nick Lofton out there. I mean, God bless him. Nick Lofton's going to, going to bust his ass doing whatever you ask him to do. I just don't see it. And so, I mean, they've tried Nate Eaton in center field, Brewer Hicklin, Nick Lofton. They have tried a lot of not center fielders in center field. I'm okay with them giving Gavin Cross a shot because he's at least played it in college, right? right. And so 
I mean, it's not ideal. They truly, I think their best natural center fielder is probably Diego Hernandez, who may or may not even be a big league prospect, but they don't have a lot of it. So Gavin Cross out there, I think is, is interesting early on. I'm curious what you thought of the Hayden Dunhurst pick, because I don't know how much of Hayden Dunhurst you saw at Ole Miss his freshman year before they shut it down in 2020 he legitimately looked like a guy who could be the Kevin Parada of this year's draft class. Mm-hmm. And then it was like the Monstars came down and took all of his powers away. He hit five home runs in 17 games as a freshman and then hit 13 home runs the rest of his collegiate career. Yeah, I don't I don't really know what happened there um, because I was watching a little video on him um, must have been yesterday, I guess. <laughs> Who knows? Days, days don't matter anymore. Um, and this, I like the swing. Like it's not you. You watch this guy, and you, you there was a video I saw. I can't remember who who it was, but it was his batting practice um, earlier this season. And I'm watching this swing, and I'm going, "This, what? How can he not hit? Like, why is this? Why does this not work?" Um, and I mean, I, I think the answer is pretty clearly breaking balls. <laughs> you know that 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 seems to be. That seems to be where he has the problem. He's he, he just can't get him. But I, I think that that's in some ways teachable. Um, mm-hmm. You know, this goes back. If, if you had told me, hey, the Royals are going to take 20 bats, I'd say, perfect, trade for some arms. Don't take a single pitcher. Let your offensive development take over. They're not going to get all 20 to work. That's fine. But, you know, so and any offensive pick that has a swing like he does, I kind of like in their organization. Mm-hmm. But boy, I, I don't know that he's ever going to hit a curveball. So um, that that to me is a little bit of an issue. But you know, what was he? It was he fifth round, sixth, sixth round. Yeah, he. Um, <clears throat> that doesn't. That's a spot that I think you can take a little bit of a risk. And I also don't know that he necessarily takes a ton to sign. Um, I know he's a junior, but and he's got that leverage to go back. But also. I mean, if he has another rough year, is he going to even go in the sixth round? He's so, going to get ten thousand dollars, right? Exactly. And so, I think that if if you start to look at <clears throat> some of the some of the later picks who they need to go a little bit into that draft pool, I think he, I think he's a guy where you can save some money and hope that your offensive development takes over and allows him to become more than he has been in college. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe you can unlock that twenty twenty swing. I, I, so I don't mind the pick. Um, you know that that to me. I forgot who was who else was there at that time, but there was some. There was another. It was a college shortstop who I really liked, um, and they didn't take him. The problem with the draft at that point becomes such a crapshoot of who thinks who is good. Um, once you get past what like forty, and if you start to look at the rankings, one guy is one seventy one, one guy's three eighty three. <laughs> it's yeah. just it's it's hard to know. Yeah, you know, it, there's just so much variance there, but. You know, overall, I like the idea of taking a guy with a swing like that and hoping that you can figure it out. I was looking at their their draft class overall, and they they really got some good value, I think, later on. Oh, yeah. If you're just evaluating the draft class itself, including David Sandlin in the 11th, Jack Pineda in the 12th, Javier Vaz in the 15th, who love watching him play. Mm-hmm. If, if nothing else, he's going to help contribute to a winning team in the minor leagues in some capacity. What would you give their draft overall in terms of a grade? Oh boy, that's so hard. I mean, obviously it depends on who signs, right? Mm-hmm. But um, Matt, I think 
I think they were at kind of like to me a C plus B minus on after day two, and then getting Sandlin, getting Charles, um, Pineda, like you said, Boz, I really like. I think Ben Sears is actually kind of interesting. Um, I don't necessarily trust the development staff on that side, but I could see some changes coming after this season, potentially based on what's happened this year. Um, I like what they did today. I wouldn't say it's an A draft, um, but I think it's a solid B, assuming you get, you have to get one of Sandlin or Charles signed. Mm-hmm. Um, if both of those guys don't sign, and I think, I think at least one will, I think it's potentially both. Um, if you sign at least one of those, I think it's a, I think it's a pretty solid draft. And now it's up to the minor league system, which has failed the Royals <laughs> over the years. But I like what they did in general. Um, I like the college approach. Um, you know, people get weird about that sort of stuff, but later in the draft, it's hard to draft a high school guy because they're going to think they can do better. They're going to go to college and spend three years at Vanderbilt or LSU or wherever, because they think they can go instead of going in the ninth round, they're going to go in the third round and make a lot more money. So I like the approach. Um, now they have to make it work, which that's, like we said, it's been kind of the bugaboo over the years. I was looking at the draft class, looking at their farm system overall, and I would probably say that right now with Prado and Massey and these guys still in the minors, that they've got a top 15 farm system, but it's right there at 15. Once those guys go, you're going to leak down to 20 at probably best. Yeah. This draft class gives them a little bit of an infusion, but there's not a ton of ceiling involved. So you're probably going to hover right there, 18 to 20. If I told you right now that let's just call it 19 to be easy, they have the 19th best farm system in baseball with the draft class. Everybody signs. Where do you think they're able to move from now to the end of the trade deadline? That's a great question because you know part of the problem we don't know what has what has happened to the value of some of these players after the past weekend. And I, and I don't, I think it's probably somewhere in between zero and what some people are saying. Um, my gut, let's take Andrew Benintendi, for example, the Yankees say they're out on him. I don't buy it. I just don't buy it. They go to Toronto in late September. They've got a 73 game lead right now. Like that series doesn't matter. So let's, let's like, might they go to Toronto in the playoffs? Sure. But if the Blue Jays are going to have to get through a round where they play three games on the road in the wild card round, because they're not going to be a three or four seed. So they're not even going to play a home game until at the earliest their fifth playoff game. And that's if they sweep the wild card round. I just don't think a team is going to, a team like the Yankees is going to look at Benintendi and go, oh, well, he can't go to Toronto. So we're not going to give up anything for him. If they think he's the piece, he's the piece. Right. And so I don't, I guess I'm trying to say, I don't know for sure what it does. I don't think it's nothing, but I don't think it's everything. Um, But it seems like of the likely players to be traded, he's the guy who helps take them from 19 to 16, 14. You know, it depends on how, how crazy the bidding gets for him because how many teams are after him? Forget the AL East. Even, even if the Yankees aren't in on him, even if the Red Sox and Rays, I don't know if the Rays were ever in on him, they should have been. But 
even if those guys aren't in on him, the Dodgers would want him, the Padres, the Braves, the Mets probably don't. Um, Cardinals might. Really, what was that? The Cardinals should. Cardinals should, yeah. The Brewers should. I mean, there. if you take out the AL East, there's eight teams who need him. Well, probably 14 teams who need him, but eight teams who will go after him. And so <clears throat> I think he can bring back a decent amount. And then if you want to pair him with somebody like Scott Barlow, now you're talking. Now I think Jim Bowden comes up with some of the wackiest trade ideas ever. But his trade idea um, – I actually thought it was okay. Like I was that, that one actually wasn't bad. But even if even if it's wrong, what that indicates, and Max Reaper said this on Twitter, he was absolutely right. What that indicates is he's hearing there's a haul. Mm-hmm. And so I would love to see them put a package together. My concern, and I've seen this both ways now, but I think about uh Saturday's game in Toronto that Scott Barlow pitched the ninth, not the tenth. I looked at that as they have an asset they don't want to destroy long-term. So they're not going to move Scott Barlow. Somebody else mentioned to me, they don't want to risk him getting lit up or injured because they're going to trade him. <laughs> so I went from thinking, oh, they're not trading him for sure because of that game to maybe maybe they, they might. So I think that's where they can make the biggest move. You know, I think they should move Michael A. Taylor. He's not going to bring back something that alters the farm system. Um, they should move Hunter Dozier. Same thing. They should move all these guys. They should be looking to move Brad Keller. They don't change the landscape of the system, but Andrew Benintendi may be paired with a Barlow, a Stalmont, whoever. I think that can actually change the system. But the other thing, not to go off totally off topic here, but if you look at a farm system that's 19th, but has eight guys in the majors who are 23 years old, I don't really care that the farm system is down because you've got these guys for five or six more years. You've got plenty of time to build that up before you need to re rebuild, not rebuild, but you know, kind of bring that farm system back up. So it doesn't bother me so much, but yeah, I think they can make a move with Ben and to get at least go up a couple more spots there. Last baseball um, respective question here. I saw some people on Twitter saying that the college heavy draft is an indicator that the front office is in fear of their jobs and they're trying to speed up the timeline. I don't buy it. I don't think the draft is a way that you can do that. You can't save yourself in the draft because there's just so much time between profiting off of those picks and when they would be fired. Like there's so much time that will go by, but do you give it any credence that this, even if it's not about their jobs, that it's about the timeline with Witt Jr. on the team? I think it is about the timeline. I do. I think that there's at least something to that. If in the next two weeks we start to see them, or not the next two weeks even, the next six months, if we start to see them trading off pieces from their upper minors, some guys we saw this weekend maybe, maybe Nick Prado, you know, if if they looked and if they look at Nick Prado and say we we're going to move you for whoever Pablo Lopez doesn't have to be him whatever, I think that then you can look at this draft and say they were replenishing their upper minors because they were moving people because they're afraid of their for their jobs next season. I think that's where that could be, but more likely to me it's that they believe that they can win next year in 2024. I think 2024 is possible. I actually do. Um, But they believe that they are on the cusp of winning. 
Now, I will say they've done this before, not the draft, but thought they were on the cusp of winning when everybody thought they weren't, and they were right. I mean, I go, and I'm not saying that it'll happen again. I'm not saying, oh, well, they were right once, they're going to be right again. But, I mean, think back to 2012. That was a bad team that had a lot of young players on it. This is a bad team that has a lot of young players on it. They finished, I think, 72 and 90 in 2012. And they made that James Shields trade. And Clint Scholes and I had our Pine Tar podcast back then. And I lost my voice yelling about it. I'm not joking. I went to work the next day, horse, because I was so mad that they traded Will Myers to get a pitcher who wasn't going to help them win because they weren't even close to ready. So they have done this before where they've thought they were closer than we think they are. And they were right. I'm not, again, not saying that they're right, <laughs> but I, I wouldn't put it past them to have that same belief right now and, and push their chips in this, this winter, you know, I, I'm probably not going to like it again if they do it, but uh, that's where we are. I really thought that if they believed that, that Starling Marte would be more likely to be on the table, and that was a move last year where I really didn't understand why people were like making fun of me for thinking that the Royals should go out and get Starling Marte, and everybody we had on the podcast was like, oh, they're not going to do that. It's like, well, they freaking should. He got less than $20 million a year, and now he's an all-star again and having one of the best offensive seasons of his career. I, The point of all that is to say, I think if, if the Royals really thought this was going to be competitive this year, they would have showed us by spending or doing something last offseason. So in hindsight, we probably should have looked at last offseason and go, they're trying to tell us it's going to be one more year. They may be yeah. saying that they're going to compete, but what they're showing us is, one more year, and then this offseason, I think you're right. I think at this trade deadline and this offseason, the, the moves will represent where they actually think they are moving forward. No, that, that's a good point because who did they sign? Taylor Clark was their big league signing yeah. before Green Taylor Clark and then Greinke, I guess. Now, by the way, Taylor Clark's been really good. <laughs> yeah. Have you – like you've compared his numbers before the West Coast trip and after, right? Yeah. It's like it's uh, all-star reliever, all-star reliever, and a quad A guy. I'm not even quite. I, I yeah, think he might be a double guy. It's it's crazy. Like he's pitched so well over the last what is it now a month, month and a half. Mm-hmm. It's been a while that if they traded Barlow, I'd rather he be closer than Stamont. Yeah, I'm okay with it. Which like that blows my mind to even think that. But you know, um, good guy. So hey, that's another one that I was dead wrong on because I was making fun of that signing when it happened. <laughs> Well, and he was one of those signings where it was like, yeah, whatever. I didn't, I just didn't give it any attention. I was yeah. just like, hey, look, okay, that's fine. They, they yeah. picked up a minor league reliever. I, I always have continued to pick the Diamondbacks clean of pitching, which I think is funny. It's it's bizarre. I always have. I'm sure you do the same thing. I've, I've always have a um, in the off season and trade deadline. I've always got kind of like a bare bones template ready to go, so I can just knock something out right away. And they signed Taylor Clark, and I I, I opened it up, and I was like, I no. I'm not writing this. This is not worth my time. And turns out he's been pretty good. Well, the trade deadline is upon us. The signing for the draft is upon us. Hopefully we'll get you back on here after the trade deadline. We can break down and and look at what they did, what that tells us, what they should have done, who they got. We can talk more about it. But, David, I appreciate you coming on tonight. The draft is done. I'm going to go drink some rum and take a break. Hopefully you'll enjoy your break as well. 
Yes, yes. Uh, a couple of days off is we all need it. <laughs> Thanks again, man. Yeah, thank you. All right. First of all, I want to say thank you to everybody who joined us on the podcast tonight. That was really good. Um, really good conversation about the draft that we spend a lot of time preparing for with the idea of preparing you, the listener, the reader, the fan for what that will look like and, and how the details work out and, and things of that nature. I had somebody reach out to me on Twitter uh, last week when Nate Eaton hit his home run and say that they enjoyed the game more because of us and the work we do at Royals Farm Report because they knew who Nate Eaton was. They had listened to us and read us talk about Nate Eaton leading into the draft and lead. I'm sorry, not the draft leading into the season. They knew who Nate Eaton was because of us. Um, and that really, really made me feel a certain way. Um, I know that, you know, a lot of times it probably just seems like, um, you know, we're just up here having fun and, and we are, it's, it's doing a lot of cool stuff with our friends. And it, it truly has been one of the, the pleasures of my life professionally to, to do this. Um, but that comment really hit me. And I just wanted to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you to everybody who reads, everybody who listens for giving us the opportunity and the platform to share our passion with you. And when we started this, I don't know if I've ever said this before, but when I started doing this, a lot of it was because my old college roommate had been drafted by the Royals and I started digging into minor league baseball. And if you go back, you can look at our rankings that we wrote from the first moments of Royals Farm Report, our rankings. They don't have video because it was so hard to find video, even of the top prospects in the minors. And so last year I decided I was going to make it a goal of mine to put that on the Internet for free. Find the video put it on Twitter so that if you, the listener wants to go find video of Nick Prado hitting a home run, that you can do it and that it's easy to find that you don't have to go searching to the ends of the earth because these kids, which most of them are kids don't get nearly enough coverage. And earlier today, Rob Manford made a comment that minor leaguers are paid a livable wage. No, they're not. No, they're not. It does them wonders when they're covered, when they're talked about like people, like professional athletes. And that is what we want to do here. That is our goal is to promote these kids so that you know them, so that you can enjoy the games when you're watching them because you know Nate Eaton before he steps to the plate and give these kids the coverage they need to be able to fend for themselves, market themselves, and make a name for themselves as they move forward. So, from the bottom of my heart, again, thank you for listening. Thank you for reading. Thank you for clicking. Thank you for buying the draft guide because all of that makes what we do possible. Listening and downloading the podcasts helps us get ad money that pays to have guys like Tucker sitting in the green room right now producing the podcast to make this work. It allows me to, when you buy the draft guide, I can pay writers and talented people to come in and help me put all that together because otherwise it wouldn't happen. So Drew Osborne, Mason McRae, Jared Perkins, Joel Penfield, Drake Downing, Marcus Mead, Jacob Milham. Thank you to all of you for helping me put that together because while you guys might just be having fun, while you guys might just be doing something that's cool or trying to make some money, 
what you're doing is you're helping me and then formerly Patrick Brennan, who now has a job in baseball, partially because of what he started here. Uh, you have continued our dream of sharing minor league baseball with you guys and, and promoting these kids. So like I said, in my professional life or my semi-professional life, not my family life, right? This has been one of the joys of my professional life. Um, it has been a blast from day one with Patrick writing about prospects who we were, A, we were in way over our head, but B, figuring out on the fly how to scout and how to develop models that Patrick and I developed a model that ranked pitches, right? Individual pitches. And now stuff plus and pitch models are all a rage. We we've been ranking prospects for five years. Joel and I have been hosting a podcast for four years. Tucker, who again is sitting in the green room, came on and wrote for us at one point in time. So there's been so many people that have been a part of this, so many people that have made this possible. And again, I just want to say thank you to all of you listening, to all of you who have read. I'll have an article up tomorrow that echoes a lot of these thoughts as well. But thank you from the bottom of our hearts for your support. We plan on continuing to do this for free as long as possible, as long as we can physically make it happen, it'll be here. So thank you again. Thank you for listening. Thank you for reading. Thank you for buying the draft guide. We'll talk to you guys again very soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.